today is May 31st, 2015. Uh, the title of today's message is, It is Time to Thrive. It's Time to Thrive. Um, I, I had, uh, as I was studying this week, and, and specifically yesterday, had some, um, some direction that I thought that I would go with you guys. And uh, while the title stayed the same this morning, uh, early this morning as I was up just praying and thinking about you guys, uh, it seemed like there's a little bit of a shift in what, uh, how we're going to get where we're going to get today, so I'm excited to get in it, uh, into the Word. If you'll turn to Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Joshua chapter 1 is where we're going to start. It is so great to be a part of this church. Everybody say, I love my church. This is not someone else's church, this is your church. If you've been here, if you're a part of this, this is your church. How you engage the people around you is you help build the culture here. Uh, I love getting to stand here on stage and watch people as they are led of the Spirit of God come to the altar and, and have things that they need to get right with God or they need to talk to God about. I love that we have folks who are walking around and going, I feel like I have a specific word for this person over here, so I'm going to go give them a word, pray over them, whatever it is that the Spirit of God is moving them to do. That is what we're supposed to do. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. God has decide, decided and designed it in His great purpose to use the church to accomplish His will on earth. Amen. We get to be a part of the specific plan from all of the ages. We are part of this plan that God has to impact those around us. When we're here, it's like, uh, it's like a huddle. We want to encourage each other. We want to revise the game plan. We want to say, hey, man, I know you just took a shot, but let's keep going. Let's get up. Let's keep going. We can do this. We can do this together. Not a rah-rah session, but an encouragement session so that the Spirit of God will empower us to go wherever we need to go and do whatever we need to do. Let me just encourage you today, even as we get going at the beginning of this here, you do not need to be anyone else. We, in this church, we don't want you to be anyone else. If I try to be somebody like Baj, who's one of our elders, if I try to be like Baj, I will spend all of my days, every day, completely defeated. Because I can't be him. I, I can't be Charlie. I can't be you guys. I can't do it. Not even going to try to do it. I love you. You're incredible. I don't even want to try to be like you. We're all trying to be just like Christ and operate in the exact calling that he's called us to do. Stop looking down on your own gifts. Stop it. By the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, stop looking down on what God has given you. Stop wishing that you were someone else with someone else's gifts, with someone else's ability. If he would have wanted that, he would have given that to you. So just relax in who God has made you. Just presume that he knows actually what he's doing and that he's the one who has set you in the body as it has pleased him. Let's just presume that he's got a better idea than we do. Amen? Joshua chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6. Amen. It says, be strong and courageous. Rock Kazakh. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Everybody say successful. Verse 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may careful, be careful to do everything written in it. Then, everybody say then. Amen. All right, we're, we're already falling asleep here. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Obviously, this is a promise specifically to Joshua. He is stepping in. The end of Deuteronomy gives us the, the handing of the torch from Moses to Joshua. Moses says many of these same things. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. And this mantle is now being passed and God is, re is encouraging him, reminding him of certain things. Then you will be prosperous and successful. It's time for us to thrive. Some of us, I don't know... Um, it's amazing to me in, in my own life and as I, as I work with other people and as I try to lead other people, uh, it's easy to get in a rut, isn't it? 
It's easy to get going with the same thing over and over again. We come to church, we expect certain things to happen, right? We know after a certain number of songs, and this is kind of usually when somebody might come up and give a, give a word of encouragement or prophecy from the, from the microphone. We're expecting this to happen at this time. As informal as we are, we still have our own liturgy. We still have our own plan for the service that we tend to follow, don't we? There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're trying to do is say, hey, let's, what I'm trying to encourage you with today is let's not get in a rut. It's time for us to thrive. It's time for us to come fully alive in the gifts that God has given us. It's time for us, each individually. <laughs> when I'm saying us, what you should be hearing is me. We should be personalizing this part of, of what we're saying here. It's time for you to operate fully in what God has called you to do. Holding nothing back with no fear. Actually, the truth is, is most of the time we do have fear, but we have to operate as if there's no fear. Right? Isn't that the way that life really works? No fear. Okay. Here we go. It's not that there's no fear that's initiating. It's no fear that causes us to step, to stop or to pull back from what God is doing. We act as if there's no fear because we're saying, God, we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you. Daniel and Randy just moved here from Louisiana, sold the house, loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly, right? Coming this way. So many people in this church have done very similar things. Why? Because we're just going to go ahead and presume that God is going to take care of us. If we're going to make the mistake, I'd rather have the mistake of me stepping out and doing something bold for Christ than me to stay comfortable and never really actually do what God has called me to do. I cannot, you cannot do what God has called you to do if you want to stay safe. you got to pick between being safe and being courageous. There's no in-between. If you want to be safe, you might have a very nice little life. And you'll enjoy the people around you. And you'll come and you'll, you'll, you'll feel God's presence. And you'll have a good little day. I'm not trying to have a good day. I'm trying to push back the forces of darkness around me. I'm trying to see God moving away. And whatever He wants me to do and wants me to accomplish, that's exactly what I want to do. Didi, can I share the picture that you just, not the actual picture, but can I, can I share the story? So, was it last week? Oh my goodness. Feels like it was three weeks ago. I know, you showed, you showed it to me on Wednesday. Um, so last week sometime, and then uh, we were praying over Didi. Um, we were praying during our morning prayer time. I want to encourage you at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, we have prayer right here at the front. Our worship practice gets done at 9, and then we start praying just believing God to do something great. Um, through the course of prayer, God shared a few things with Didi. On Wednesday, she came and she said, I have to share this with you. For those of you who don't know, Didi's fighting cancer right now. We believe that God is going to be completely victorious in every cell in her body. We do. We believe that. We're just crazy enough to believe that what God has already promised, He is faithful and just and He will fulfill His promise. We're just crazy enough to believe it. Um, so, <laughs> Didi came to me Wednesday night after service and showed me a picture. And it was a little gross. And it was completely glorious all at the same time. What the picture was, was part of a tumor that's within her body that was literally starting to break up and exit her body. There were things... Uh, she, she now has a, a port to help some of the fluid that builds up around her lungs to help it drain. Through the port were parts of a tumor. Physical, fleshy parts of a tumor. Come on. We serve a powerful God. And my friend D.D. can show me and say, you know what a tumor looks like? I don't know. Here. <laughs> ah! We serve a God who is right now, in a very tangible way, causing tumors to be broken up inside of a human being's body. What is it that you need from God today? Sorry. 
What is it that you need? Can anything that you need be as big as cancer and a tumor that's literally dissolving in the body? Do you think that your problem is that big? And maybe it is. What do you need from God today? It's time to thrive. It's time to watch cancer be defeated. It's time to watch your marriage be put back together. It's time to watch you flourish and thrive in areas that you have never so before had. Well, I can't really do this. And the world, just the circumstances have kind of beat me down and maybe I'm not what I thought that I was. Let me encourage you. I don't know what you thought you were, but I know that God has thoughts towards you. And His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And if you will but meditate on the Word of the Lord day and night, not just a little bit, not just in passing, but if you will make it as necessary to yourself as the next breath of air, if you will make it as necessary as the next meal that you want to go to, then God Himself said that He will make you successful and prosperous. We are not a church who's trying to preach about financial wealth as if that were the end-all be-all. And yet, my God says, if you focus on Him, He will make you successful. He will cause you to accomplish that which He has set out for you to do. There is no greater success. There is no greater success. My wife and I, we've been talking. Um, we went on a, a date the other night during youth. Thank you, John and Joy, for having youth because we get to go on a date every Friday night. We were there talking, and my son is 15 years old, and we're looking at it and going, okay, so let's just say we have three years left. Hopefully we have a lot longer that with him, but at 18, let's just set that as a goal. What, do we, what does he need to know between now and the time that he's 18? What, what have we heard from other people? What do we not want to look back and say, God, we wish we would have taught that to him? Oh, he'll get it. He's a smart kid. He's a good kid. He'll get it. But what is it that we want to instill in him? What is it that we want to be very purposeful about? We're doing the same thing with Olivia, even with Anna, our five-year-old. What is it that, let's make a list. Let's figure it out. Lord, would you show us what we have yet to teach him? What we have yet to input in him? Because you know what? As bold as this is, there's nobody better on this planet to teach my kids than me. Else they wouldn't be my children. That's what God has done. There's nobody better to teach your kids than you. There's nobody better to speak words of prophecy over your own children than you. There's nobody to lay hands on that's any better to lay in your realm, in your world, than you. You are the right one. You are the right one to do this. The people at your work, let me tell you what, you are the right one to witness to them. There's no one better because God put you there. Whatever God, whatever seeds that God allows you to plant, you're supposed to be planting. You can plant these. You can do this. This is exactly what God is calling us to do, is to thrive. In Pastor Eric's message a few weeks ago that he entitled, To Not Becomes Flesh, Pastor Eric said this. He said, the faithful are always centrifugal. He said that. He didn't even explain it. He just said it went on. I was like, slow down. Go back over that part. The faithful, there's this motion. There's this, there's this energy. There's this activity. There's this gravity that starts happening as we're faithful. We are movers. We move by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The, the cloud by day and the fire by night. We go where He says to go. We want to pray what He says to pray. I love that song. You know, I have to be honest though. It's as much of a prayer in my life as it is a declaration. Where you go, where you say to go, Lord, I'll go. What, what you tell me to say, I'll say. That's exactly what I want to have happen. And I got to go, God, I need, to, I need to be better at that. I only want to say what you want me to say. Not just because I'm up here, but because this is part, this is a sliver of my life that you guys get to be a part of. We see each other. This is a tiny, tiny part. If I'm not doing these type of things everywhere I go, then this isn't authentic. Then I, in my own mind, I shouldn't be doing this if I'm not doing it everywhere that I'm going. If I'm not constantly in the Word, if I'm not constantly talking to people about what this is and about God's plan for their life, that is the majority of my life. These are small, small sections of it. And I hope to share it with you. And I hope, to, I hope that God allows me to wash your feet every time that I get a chance to speak. I, I hope that it's exactly what you need to hear. You know, not because I think I'm a great teacher, because I know that God is good and he loves you more than I do. 
and he's got a purpose for you. We are supposed to be thriving in this. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Please say there when you are there. First Samuel 14. We're going to start in 15. The beginning of First Samuel chapter 14 is the story that we, are, we should be very familiar with. Daniel, I mean Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climb up. They say, if the, maybe the Lord will have us to take this. And if they say, hey, come up here and we're going to fight you, then Jonathan says, we know that it'll be God. So those two guys, they climb hand over fist. They climb up the side of this ravine and they get there and the enemy says, hey, you little dogs, why don't you come up here so we can give you what your what for? <laughs> it's on. Jonathan and his armor bearer handle 20 people, right? By themselves, these two men take care of 20 people about the span of a half of an acre is what the Bible says. Then in verse 15, let's start reading together. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. (laughs) Uh, We've had some pretty bad storms around here lately, right? We all know what it's like when the ground shakes. I think it was last night there was some lightning and then thunder very, very close to where our house is. And (laughs) my daughter, uh, our youngest, went over to the window and kind of pulled back the blinds and was like, Dad! The ground shook out there. <laughs> like the windows rattled, you know, all that stuff. The ground shook because of what was going on in here. Don't you aren't you glad that you serve a God who can even shake the earth if he needs to? He can break up cancer. He can help you where you are. It was a panic sent by who? <laughs> it was a panic sent by God. I love that. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah. And Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Let me encourage you folks, whatever your enemies are, they can melt away at the very voice of God. They will melt away. Heaven and earth will peel back from His voice. Surely He can handle what we have in our, going on in our lives. Then Saul said to the men who were there with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. And they didn't even realize Jonathan and the armor bearer were gone. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Verse 18, Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was still with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. Okay, let's pull back for just a second. Jonathan, armor bearer, 20 people. God's causing this panic to break out. Saul and his people are trying to get together and figure out what the heck is going on. What's happening in the enemy camp? It's getting more and more and more chaotic because that panic that God sent is setting in like leaven. It's working through that whole group of people. So uh, Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Verse 20, then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, (laughs) striking each other with their swords. Don't you like it when God just gets ahead of you and people are... The things that you thought should have been difficult, they're defeating each other. They're taking care of each other, right? Verse 21, those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. These traitors got back in the right area. They got back with their own people. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. It's easy for us, for folks to join us when things are going well, isn't it? Everybody loves the winner. If your company is going strong, guess what? It's easy to find people who want to work with you. If you're a little startup company, well, it's a little bit more trouble to, it's more difficult to find the right people. If you're just a little startup church in somebody's garage, it's a little bit harder to get people to come. Everybody likes the success, but the truth is, God's calling us, this church specifically, to be the ones that are out there before we see the victory. Before we see the movement. Before we hear the angels in the top of the mold. Before we hear and see things, God is calling this church to go, we're already there. We're going to be the ones that are going to advance. We're going to be the tip of the spear for whatever God has for us. Verse 23, So the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on 
beyond Beth-Avon. Verse 24, Now the men of Israel were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be any man who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies, so none of the troops tasted food. Okay, this is the precursor. It's catching you up a little bit in the timeline. Hey, by the way, all this is going on, but Saul had told his men, nobody better eat any food. This, you're going to fast as you're going out to do battle. Okay? Verse 25, the entire army entered the woods and there was honey on the ground. So much honey, it was literally laying around in the comb. When they went into the woods, uh, they saw the honey oozing out. Do you guys like honey? I personally like honey a lot. When we're out, I'm like, hey, babe, I don't ever ask Christy to buy anything. But when we get out of honey, I'm like, hey, we need some honey. <laughs> need, like, for real, we need to go get this. They saw it oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. Right? Their king had said, don't do this. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out the end of his staff uh, that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb. He raised it, his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Whew. Yeah, starting to feel good. A little hungry, <laughs> just beat down 20 people all by myself. That began refreshing to his soul. Then one of the soldiers told him, Oh, your father bound the army under a strict oath saying, Cursed be any man who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. The men were faint. They're trying to fight God's battle. They were told not to eat, so they're doing what they're supposed to do under the oath, but they're, they're all feeling it. Do you get grumpy when you get hungry? Okay, you get hangry. Yeah, that's the hungry, angry. Yeah, you get hangry. For some of us, that takes like 45 minutes from the last meal. For some of us, it takes a little bit longer. These people were hangry, right? Verse 29, Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey? How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder that they took from the enemies. There's a principle in God's Word about uh, it's revealed in the Old Testament. It's reminded of us in the New Testament. It says don't muzzle an ox while he's training out the grain. Wow, right. Deep, deep thoughts of, from God, right? What does that have to do with us? In the New Testament, we find out that those who are doing the work of the Lord are able to reap benefits from what God is doing. Why wouldn't you want to feed the ox that's doing all the work for you? The New Testament tells you, is it really about ox that, oxen that God is concerned about? He's talking about His people. This is exactly against the principles that were in the Word, and it's causing problems. Verse 31. That day after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Aijalon, they were exhausted. Listen to this. They pounced on the plunder and taking sheep, cattle, and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them. This is not sushi, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> then someone said to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. Okay, I want you to catch this principle today. When you have a false sacrifice in your life, False sacrifice. Saul said, don't you guys eat because we're doing something for the Lord. So you guys don't eat. It started being counterproductive to what God was telling them to accomplish. Go out and defeat your enemy. Rout them. Beat them. I've already started it. I've sent the panic. They're in total chaos. Go take care of the enemy. A false sacrifice will always produce more sin, not less. A false sacrifice will always produce more sin in your life, not less. False sacrifice. What does that mean? These men, instead of just eating a little honey from a honeycomb that was literally oozing on the ground because it was so stinking plentiful, what did they start doing? Then they start breaking God's instructions to them to, to not eat meat that had the life's blood still in it. That had been established for a long time, and these men were so hungry, they're ravenous, they just butchered the animals right there. <laughs> when we make false sacrifices in our life, we're a church who loves to sacrifice, yes? We believe in sacrifice. 
I am fully committed to sacrificing in every area of my life. I want to be a person, as Pastor Eric has said before, who has blood in the sacrifice. If I'm giving and I can't feel it, it's so superfluous in my life, it's so extra in my life that I don't feel it, then I don't feel like I've given a sacrifice yet. I may have given a gift, but I hadn't given a sacrifice yet. 2 Samuel, uh, is it 24? The end of 2 Samuel where it's David there and the the plague comes on the people. 70,000 people are killed. He gets there at Aruna's threshing floor. Aruna says, oh great king, have everything you want. Take the floor, take the animals to sacrifice. Here's some wood to build the altar. David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Why? Because it's not actually a sacrifice to the Lord, right? So David sits out this principle. What I'm talking about here is that false sacrifice, whether it comes from a sense of piety, religiousness, self-deprivation, whatever it is, a false sacrifice will always produce more sin in our lives. (laughs) Um. All of our kids have done this. We're back around to this with Anna, our five-year-old. Uh, Anna made a, a blanket fort in the living room the other day. Everybody know what I'm talking about, a blanket fort? Right? Get all, you pull out, you know, every bed in the house has lost its, its covers. We've got chairs of varying heights. Things are draped over it, a little cave. She can climb up in there in. <laughs> the interesting part about a fort is really, and we just, we just let her do it. Ready? Go ahead. However you make it is right, right? But if you think about a fort, she's putting her own boundaries. (laughs) My five-year-old has decided, well, it's going to be this, and I have just enough room to do this and then no more. Um, As believers, sometimes we do the same thing. We set up boundaries. We set up markers that God has not initiated in our life to make our little fort, but really all it is is a false sacrifice. I hope you're understanding what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at today. I feel this is a deep, specific word for us. Not them. This is for us. The people in this room, I feel like this is something that God is specifically saying to us. Don't allow false sacrifices in your life. When you put up the boundaries and said, well, by the time I'm 40, I'll do this. This should be my 10-year plan. And guys, y'all, if you know me, you know I love to plan things. And so this last year of my life has been a whole lot of me not planning anything. It's true. Came here, and I was like, oh, man, hey, man, I will have the next year calendar planned out in the first week I'm here. And anytime I try to start doing things like that, I get rebuked from the Lord. I'm like, come on, let me. No. Ooh, <laughs> I'm like doing that. It gives me security. <laughs> Would you just let me do this? No, nope. I need you to follow what I'm doing. I'm the type... My intent was this morning was to get up, and, and I'm not trying to do this for any other reason than to just share my heart with you. My intent this morning was to get up, make a few final touches on the message, and give you slides. Point number one, boop. Point number two, boop. That was my intent. I got up this morning, and God sent me in different directions with none of the scriptures that I had before. So I was like, well, that planner in me, he loves me enough to not always let me do what I want to do. He loves me enough to say, son, I love you. I made you that way. And you're going to do it this way. Yes, sir. I got you. When my daughter builds the fort, she sets up boundaries. And sometimes you don't do it very well. It kind of causes constriction in your movement. She's made her own little world that she has constricted her movements to. She's got the entire run of the house. We... and. For, this, for the sake of this discussion, she is free. She is a child in the house. She can go anywhere she wants to go. She can have anything that she needs to have. All she has to do is ask her father. She can literally, ha- she has access to everything and she has confined herself to a three by four spot in my living room floor. What forts have we built? What forts have we allowed to be there? What constrictions on our life have we put there? Time. Methods. Well, I expect God, I think it's going to look this way when God moves in my life. I think it's going to feel this way to me when God moves. Perhaps we just set up some false sacrifices to the Lord. We have put constrictions on ourselves that you know what they're going to do? They're just going to cause us to sin more. We need to find the will of God for our lives and be obedient and obedient only. 
it will require sacrifice for us. Of course it will. Why would I want to add extra sacrifice? Why would I want to add, not extra, that's not the right way to say that. Why would I want to add different sacrifices which make me think that I'm doing what God wants me to do and I've only confused myself? I've only caused myself to be deceived. I think I'm doing something for God. Look, I set up the boundary, I set up the sacrifice, and then I completed it. Well, let me just encourage you, if that's what's going on in your life, that's probably not God. Why? Because He has nothing to do with it. Um, my mom was, was great when we were growing up. She would always give us choices, right? It was never... My mom forced us to make decisions all the time. Right? Good moms do that. Son, you have to choose between this cereal and this cereal. Okay, you have to choose between this and this. So we got, I don't know. She made us choose every day, left or right, good or bad, this or that. And so we had to learn how to choose. (laughs) But she was always smart enough that she put a limited number of choices in front of us. She put choices that she was okay with either one that we completed, right? (laughs) I am completely okay with these two options. Please choose between these two, (laughs) right? The secret of parenting, right? You give them two options, either one that you're completely okay with, right? We've set up boundaries for their health. In this case, these are boundaries that we set up and they don't produce health. They actually push us further away from God. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 15. We need to tear down the false sacrifices in our life. Get them out of there. Things that are holding you back from being full on engaged, full out for the Lord in everything that you do. We've got to tear those things down. 2 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 1. In the course of time, Absalom proved himself, I'm sorry, provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. Now, Absalom is one of David's sons. Absalom had another one of David's sons killed because of indiscretion that this other son had done. The bottom line here for Absalom is he is setting himself up as king. Okay, Many of you know this story, but there's the background that leads us to here. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with, the, and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, Hey, what town are you from? He would would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. So what is Absalom doing? He's sowing dissension towards David, his father, right? Um, It's the people... I mean, not that you've ever experienced this on your workplace, but the people who kind of want, they weasel their way in so that everything kind of has to go through them and they are the keeper of, of all the knowledge, right? Verse 4, And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land. <laughs> King David. I mean, if I were judge, then I would have somebody to take care of your claim, but... I'm not, sorry. Then everyone who uh, has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that he gets justice. Sounds very politician-like, right? Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so, listen, look at the next phrase. So he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. This conniving person stole the hearts of God's people through his trickery, through his everything that seemed to be right. Oh, wow, you're, you're for me. Oh, yeah, you're right. If you were the king or if you were in charge, then maybe I would get justice. He's planting the very seed. He's creating the problem and putting himself clearly as the answer. Hey, man, (laughs) you got a problem. Well, I mean, I can take care of it, but Pastor Wade won't let me. You know, I mean, like this is the setup that he has here, and it says that he stole the hearts 
of the men of Israel. We have to be very careful not to allow anything to steal our hearts. Things that look good, things that seem well-polished, things that seem to be very logical, but they stole the hearts. He stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Look at verse 7. At the end of four years. Somebody say four years. So this was not a week that this went by and he caught a few people. This was four years in the making, at least. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord while your servant was living at Gershon and Aram. I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Well, then why didn't you go back in the four years before that? Right? Let me encourage, let me encourage everybody. The reason that Joshua tells us that we're supposed to meditate on the word day and night is because it gives us wisdom in situations like this. When people come up and present something to you, we've got to be careful that it's not an attack of the enemy so that our hearts will be stolen and placed in the wrong area. Like we have to be wise just because someone says something. And I'm a very trusting person. I'm very open. I enjoy people. I'm going to presume the best in them. That's the way I'm made. And... I've got to be careful that my heart doesn't get stolen, that it doesn't get moved where God is not intending it. Verse 9, the king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers. Everybody say secret. Messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. (laughs) Building his own kingdom literally. The son of a king who's building his own kingdom. As soon as you hear the uh, verse 11, 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's followers kept on increasing. How long is it that we can have something going on around us and us not see it? We've got to be careful where our heart is. We've got to be careful that things are going around us. And because we're not inquiring of the Lord, these things can go on and build. The conspiracy builds strength right at David's front door from his own son, within his own home, within his own house. And this is what happens. How long will we not see what's going on? Let me encourage us. Not only do we have to have our hearts pure, but we have to have eyes that are open to what God is doing. Verse 13 goes through and it tells about how David is fleeing. David finds out about it and he's like, this is not good. This is already so far advanced. The king himself, King David, whom God has proclaimed that will have someone sitting on his throne for the rest of time, gets displaced by his own son. And then take a look down at verse 23. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The whole countryside. This is a time of mourning. King David has been displaced. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on toward the desert. There was another king who crossed the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley is just outside of Jerusalem. Part of the valley hits um, part of the Temple Mount. It is an area... And Jesus himself crossed through the Kidron Valley on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. We see the king going through the valley. A time, actually, the Kidron means um, it's a, it, it has a denotation of a dark place, the Black Valley, this, this gloom and doom thing that's there that David had to cross. Let me encourage you guys. Sometimes there's things that we have to cross that are not pleasant. There are dark and difficult days ahead. But look what, da- what David does here. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on. Everybody say moved on. Even in the sense of mourning, even in a dark and difficult place, what happens? The people kept moving. <laughs> Weeping as they were, but they kept moving on. Let me encourage you not to get stuck in a place of difficulty. When you read through in Genesis 11, you see uh, Terah, Abraham's father, the loss of a son that Terah had, and he ends up staying in a place, and you don't really see him ever leaving that place of sorrow. That's why God had to tell Abraham and said, get up 
and get away from your family. He actually told him that before this moment had happened. And he reminds him of that in chapter 12. And that's when we see the incredible blessing that God's poured out on Abraham is when he finally left that. Let me encourage us. When we mourn, we have to move on. Take a look at verse 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives. It's a familiar place. Weeping as he went. Weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Ahithophel was one of his trusted advisors. He was a right-hand man who gave him wisdom and could hear from God to help David get in the right area. God's saying, hey, look, Lord, this guy has turned the wrong way. Would you just cause his information, his counsel to come of naught? And it did. Turn to chapter 16 and verse 1. When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. Short pause here. I remember (laughs) the first time I'd ever tried to preach a message about Mephibosheth. I think I said Mephibosheth a different way every time I said his name. (laughs) It was for a college group at LSU, and it was, yeah. So Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. The king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the desert. Now, you've got to understand, Ziba is a bit of a, um, he goes where the opportunity in that moment takes him. He's trying to set himself up where he's not being completely truthful, but David, even in this moment, he found, uh, gave favor to Ziba because of the provision. Then take a look down in verse 13. So David and his men continued along the road with Shemai, was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him, showering with dirt. It's not the way you're supposed to treat a king, right? The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. There are times in our lives where not only do we have to break down the false sacrifices, not only do we have to examine and make sure that our heart hasn't been stolen in any way, that we are seeing the things that are right under our nose, but we have to be careful and we have to make sure that we are going back to God's spirit, going back to his very presence to get the refreshing that we need. Now, let's go forward and let's turn to chapter 18 and verse 6. Chapter 18 and verse 6. So we keep going forward. Absalom continues to build. David sends back spies to interact with the king. He's already prayed that Ahithophel's words will be turned against him. Ahithophel gives Absalom incredible advice. He's like, David's tired. You should go take care of him right now. Send a little mobile group, some special forces. You go in and take David right now and you're done. It was actually probably the correct advice but some of David's men that he had sent back kind of sabotage what's going on. Because Absalom is looking for his own glory. He's like, you know, it'd be great. King Absalom, if you led the charge, that'd be awesome. And if you got a huge army to show how strong you are and you went and took care of David, that would be exactly what you ought to do. Absalom was like, yeah, I like like that plan because I look like the man, right? So he goes in chapter 18... And let's start in verse uh, 4. The king answered, this is King David, I will do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all the men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Atiah, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Absalom is ready to kill his father David. David is saying, hey guys, take it easy on my boy. Take it easy on him. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. Verse 6, The army marched into the field to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. 
There the army of Israel was defeated by David's men. And the casualties that day were great. 20,000 men. This was not a small battle. This was not a small uh, incursion here. The battle spread out over the whole countryside. And the forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. The forest... (laughs) The forest claimed more lives than actual sword. What does that mean? Perhaps that means that if the Lord is fighting for you, it doesn't matter how many swords you have. Perhaps even the very surroundings that you are in, God will use to your advantage. I I don't know exactly. I tried to find out some things. I don't know exactly what this means. I don't know what... Did they they run into trees? (laughs) Tackle the killer tree? What's going on here? Did they all fall and bump their head on a stump? Like, what is going on? And yet, out of 20,000 men, it said more were defeated by the forest than by David's men with swords. I just take this as a supernatural happening. I'm not as worried about my own resources that I possess as much as seeing God at work on my behalf. Perhaps if he goes for me and if he is with me, then it doesn't matter what I have or what I don't have because I will find success as I meditate on his word day and night. Perhaps it's not about us at all of what we have. Perhaps it's about what God can do through us. Now, Absalom happened to meet David's men. <laughs> he happened to. Wasn't that the whole point? Okay. He was riding his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak. Absalom's head got caught in the tree. Huh. He was <laughs> left hanging in midair. I'm sorry to be laughing. He got caught by his big old head. I, I, I kid around, and I've said this before, when my kids are little, unfortunately they have like a noggin like me. When my kids were like, you know, two and three, they looked like little bobbleheads. Big old heads, tiny little bodies, right? I just see Absalom kind of going on, even as a grown man. He gets caught in the tree by his head. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. Do you see this? This is like a, a, almost like a comic relief here in this moment. He's riding along. Hey, hey, what's going on? Mule keeps going. The rest of this, <laughs> the note that I put for this passage is this. Don't get left hanging. Don't be left hanging. I think it's a perfect picture of Absalom. What was he doing before? He was, he was working it. Hey, how you doing? Well, if I was in charge, I'd help you out. Hey, good to see you, brother. He was schmoozing everybody. What caused, what caused him to get to this place was this arrogance that just kept over and over and over. And he keeps getting rewarded for the arrogance that he displays. So why would, why would he ever stop? As my mom would say, he got a big head. He became so full of himself that literally, don't you just love the way the Bible does that? Like any way you want to look at it. It could could have been a lot of things. He literally gets trapped by his own perception of himself in a metaphorical sense. He gets caught because he's thinking too highly and too much of himself. That's the reason that that this attempted king was even out on on the battlefield. It was because he thought he could gain some more power and encouragement from being out there. Don't get left hanging. <laughs> Whatever you do, the Lord is, though, is near to those who are meek and humble. He is close to those who have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That is the God that we serve. If you think that you can have these things going on and the false sacrifices and God not notice, I'm reminded of uh, what was the ram caught in the thicket that was supposed to be an offering to the Lord? It was caught by its horns. It was caught by the royalty that it actually possessed. Foreshadowing Jesus in the New Testament. What was he caught for? What did he finally get caught for? Saying that he was God? Telling the truth? He got caught by his royalty. 
The very thing that he really was is what he got caught by. The very thing that Absalom really was, a self-centered person, that's what he got caught by. And it produced the end of his life. Let me just encourage you guys. I want to read one more scripture to you in Psalms chapter 20. Psalms chapter 20. We have got to be ready to thrive. I want want this church to thrive in every way possible. I want us to thrive. I want the faithful to always be centrifugal. While we were studying Genesis 40, Pastor Eric mentioned compassion and when compassion and desperation meet is where we see miracles. Compassion and desperation. Lord, we are desperate for you. We are desperate for you. We're so desperate for you. We want to demonstrate your spirit by having compassion on those around us. On the weak, we want to encourage them to be strong. For those who are broken, we want to see the balm of Gilead poured out upon them so that they can be healed and made whole. In the message on the second war, the statement was made, we have to fight to get free, but sometimes we have to fight even harder to stay free so that we're not entrapped by those things. Psalms 20 says this, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. This is David, and it's basically a prayer. It's a psalm, but it's also a prayer. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May He remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Verse 4, may He give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Pastor Matt's going to come forward now. What are the areas that we have maybe some false sacrifice going on? That we set up our own little fort. We've restricted our, we've restricted our own path because of thoughts that we have towards when something should be done or how it should be done or how it looks or how we think that it should look to be done. Let's all stand together.